Welcome to another inspirational message from Northwest Church. We pray this message encourages and inspires you. If you would like any more information on what your next step may be, please visit our website at northwestchurch.com.au. Well, good evening, everybody. Did you have a good dinner? Great. My name is Trish. I'm the operations pastor here at Northwest. Welcome to Christmas Eve. I'm very excited. My kids are very, 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 very excited and they'll hardly sleep, I'm sure. Um, You know, tonight I want to share an encounter with you this evening from the Bible. And you may have heard of the prodigal son, a young man who spends everything he has on stuff that is worthless and comes back to his father. But tonight I want to look at this encounter with a fresh perspective. I want to look at it as though the emphasis of the story is not about the son, but actually about the father. You see, the word prodigal means um, spending money or using resources freely and recklessly. It's described as wastefully extravagant or having something on a lavish scale. And I propose that the father in this encounter was also a prodigal. So let's take a look at the story. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Now, I just need to pause right at the get-go right here and give you some historical context because what the son has just asked for is completely offensive. He's asking for an inheritance ahead of time, which is equivalent in that culture to wishing your parents dead. It's not cool. The son is saying, I would like to live as though you guys don't exist. Thanks so much. Can you make that happen? And the father's response should have been to cast him out without a dime to his name. In fact, there was actually a ceremony for situations that arose just like that, rare as it was in that culture. But instead, the father splits the inheritance between the two sons. Now, the other thing to note here is that this is the youngest son. And the younger son did not inherit the land or the wealth. The firstborn son did. But the father, this father splits the inheritance between them. This is unheard of generosity. He gives the younger son an equal share. This is incredibly extravagant. And it's actually somewhat permanent because there were not banks and ATMs. He was not paid out in Bitcoin. It was not easy. Wealth was tied up in land and stock that had to be sold to liquidate his position. This response was unheard of by the father. The father gives to him so extravagantly. Let's read on. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered the wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me instead like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went back to his father. But while he was still a long way off, I love this. 
His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Okay, a man of station, a landowner such as this man, absolutely did not run in this culture at this time under any circumstances. To run would mean picking up the long flowing robes that they wore and exposing his legs. It was a shameful display of public affection. And then to throw his arms around his son and embrace him like that in public, in full display of everyone who would have had a right to condemn him for his wrongdoing, was simply incredible, unheard of, recklessly extravagant. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. You know, the son, the son approached his father with absolutely nothing. He brought nothing to the table. But the father instead places a robe over his tattered clothes. He covers over the shame of his mistakes and extends grace to him. He places a ring on his finger, which is a symbol of position and honor. It tells everyone, he belongs to my family and he carries the weight of my delegated authority. With the seal of that ring, he could do things in the Father's name. And then he placed sandals on his feet. In ancient Hebrew, it was a symbol of great distress to be barefoot. To place shoes on his feet said that he could leave the distress behind and work, walk with purpose into his future. And finally, he prepared a feast. And he set a table for him. The son came back hungry and it was the father's determination to meet his hunger with overwhelming abundance. A celebration feast was arranged and a place was set for him, a place where relationship would be expressed and experienced. You know, threaded throughout the Bible is our invitation to a table just like this, delivered by a prodigal God, an extravagantly generous mind-blowingly gracious God. Jesus told this story to his disciples describing God the Father. And though we bring nothing of worth to the table, our Father in heaven spends everything he has on something worthy. You. So tonight we are going to talk about the same thing that Trish started. We are talking about the Christmas table. The Christmas table. At Christmas, we celebrate Jesus' uh, birth. I think we all, most of us, we know that. We celebrate Jesus' birth or Jesus' birthday. Uh, we, we, to celebrate Jesus' birth, we, families come together uh, for a meal. We, it's very common. It's, 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 it's in our culture. We cook meal on Christmas. Maybe some of you have had already family meals or friends invited you this week and Today we had some meal, uh, and tomorrow you'll still have 
meal with some family. I was talking to someone today who told me in the morning they will have lunch with the husband's uh, family, and in the uh, lunch they will have lunch with another side, and then dinner they will go another family. So, yeah, we go together as families at Christmas. One, one thing most of us love about Christmas is the Christmas table, the Christmas meal, the Christmas coming together around the table. And that's why we have this table here, the Christmas table. We love the Christmas table. There is excitement for most people because people travel from all over. I think some of you are here, you came from Queensland or, 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 or I don't know, from Melbourne. You came to see family. Some of you are from Sydney. You came to see family. And the reason why most of our church members are not here because they want to see their families. Christmas, we come together as families. But what is the characteristic of our Christmas tables? I will bring three characteristics of our Christmas tables. There are many, but these are three things that I see around our tables. The first one, our Christmas tables are selective invitations. We select people we share the table with. We select people we bring to our tables. That means we only call people who are familiar with us. We all call people we, we, we like or people who like us or our colleagues, people we know. That's how they, those are the people we bring around the table. So I'm going to invite also someone I love to come around the table. I will call my, my princess, Iris, to come and sit with me at the table. Sit here, my, my daughter. This is what we do. We invite the people we know to come and sit with us. Some of them are like, uh, oh no, even if your uncle you disagree with politically, at Christmas you still invite them. <laughs> and you try not to talk politics on that day. <laughs> yeah, because they are, they are relatives. So the, the bottom line is we, we invite people who are related to the host. Somehow, somewhere, that's uh, at Christmas table, everybody who is there is related to the host. Somehow. The second thing about the Christmas table is limited in number of guests. We limit the number of guests because we don't have enough resources to cook for the whole world. We can only cook for so much people. So let's say if your family is like 10 people, you cook for 10 or 20. And some families, if, it doesn't matter how big your family is, it's still limited in number. Isn't it? We agree that our Christmas tables are limited in number. We can't cook for everyone. And the third one, the Christmas table, our Christmas tables are limited in time. So we come together for some time, mostly with that uncle or auntie we don't like. We can't wait for the dinner to finish so that she can go back home. So we, we have our dinners limited in time, one hour, two hours. Even if you stay for the whole holiday, after two weeks you will be gone. After one month you will be gone. So limited in time. Selective invitations, limited number of guests, and limited time. 
When Jesus was born, something happened. God organized the party. And God invited guests. God selected his guests. And the, the, the character, the, the, the type of guests God selected will tell us something about his character. The first group of people God invited are the shepherds. Let me invite my shepherd here tonight to the table because God invited him. Why not me? Who am I not to invite the shepherd? Have a seat. Mr. Shepherd, can you have the microphone for the shepherd? In the book of Luke chapter 2, verse 8 to 12, we read this. And there were shepherds living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Mm -hmm. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, brother shepherd. God invited these people who, they were not the most influential people in that area. They were not. They were not necessarily noble people. They were normal people. They were excluded. Some of them were poor. They were always outside with the sheep. So they were usually dirty and smelly. But still, God invited them to celebrate Jesus' birth. Jesus invited the poor. God invited the poor, dirty and smelly, to come and celebrate the birth of Jesus. The second group of people God invited to come and celebrate the birth of Jesus are the Magi. So I will invite the Magi. Welcome here from the Far East. You can see from the Far East. Welcome to the table. And if we read in Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 and verse 11, let, let's listen to this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the East came to Jerusalem. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These people were rich. Some translations call them the wise men or the king from the east. They were rich, they were smart, they were intellectual. It's very obvious that they were not poor if you look at the gift they brought. They brought gold. They brought gold to Jesus. They were rich. God involved the rich. God involved the, the, the educated. Look at the people who were involved. The family was there. The poor was there, uneducated. Uneducated and poor. <laughs> God involved the educated and rich. Everybody was invited. Every sphere of the community was invited at God's table when Jesus was born. So these are three things about God's table that I want you to remember by the time you leave this place. God's family is open to everyone and God's table is set for everyone. 
Matthew chapter 22, 1 to 3. Jesus spoke to them again in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servant to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. But they refused to come. 28, 8 to 10. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those are invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find who, anyone you find. Invite them, all of them. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good. All of them were invited and the wedding hall was filled with guests. Unlike our Christmas tables, God's table is open to everyone, regardless of their social class, their background, their race, or their gender. God's table is open. The invitation is everybody is invited. God is inviting you to his family tonight. He has a special seat for you at the table. He has a special seat for everyone in this room at his table, regardless of your background. Maybe you feel like you don't belong here because of what you've done or because of what happened to you in the past. God is not shocked by your sin. God is not shocked by your story. He knows every detail of your life. Your friend may have rejected you. Your family may have misunderstood you, but God doesn't. You are invited to his table. The second thing about God's table, it is not limited in number of guests. God can afford to feed you. He can afford to feed me and everybody. Titus chapter 2 verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. To who? To all people. Some people think Jesus is a friend of good people only, the rich, the educated, who walk slowly and wear white gowns. Jesus came for a particular group of people, those who have not yet committed crimes. Those are the people God loves. I want to tell you something. The grace of God is for all. There is no limit to the number of people heaven can take. God is calling every human being, including you, to respond to his invitation. He's not afraid of your presence. It will never, never be overcrowded in heaven. There is always room at his table. The grace of God is for everybody and all sin. There is no sin too bad God can't forgive. And there is no person too evil for God to restore. Even you, God can restore your life. The final point, God's table is not limited in time. It's not for one minute. It's not for one week. God is not waiting for you to finish to eat so that you can go. You've annoyed him so bad. God is not like your uncle. God is not like your auntie. He doesn't want you to leave as soon as you finish to eat. God wants you to stay. God wants you to stay. Revelation 3.20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If everyone, anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus is saying he will come to you and eat with you at the table. If you open your heart tonight, 
When he comes to, to your heart, he comes to stay. He doesn't tease us. He comes to stay. He wants to dwell in you, to guide you for the rest of your life. Jesus wants to give you a permanent, eternal place at his table in heaven. Unlike our Christmas tables, when God welcomes you at his table, he welcomes you for eternity. Not for a day, not for a week, not for a night. So I want you to remember something. There is a place for you at the table. Luke 13, 29. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Everybody is invited at God's table. If you have received Jesus in your heart, let me tell you something. If you have invited Jesus into your heart, I want you to rest assured that you have a place at his table. You have a place at his table. You belong to God's family. You are loved. You are accepted. You are appreciated by God. You belong to his table. Unlike our Christmas tables, God's table is set for all people from all nations, from all spheres of life. Unlike our Christmas tables, God's table is not limited in number. All are invited. Unlike our Christmas tables, when God welcomes you at his table, he welcomes you to stay. To stay. But I want to say something before I let you, I, I get out of your, your sight. God's table is not for those who were invited. God's table is not for those who are invited, who were invited. God's table is for those who responded to the invitation. We are inviting you to the God's table. We are inviting you to eternal life. We are inviting you, we are inviting you to receive Jesus. Being invited is not enough. Responding to the invitation, going there, gives you a spot at the table. So tonight, are you going to respond to the invitation? Are you going to invite Jesus in your heart? Jesus came to earth so that he can give you a place at God's table forever in heaven. Tonight, I want you to know, if you haven't yet made this decision to invite Jesus in your heart, being invited is not enough. Respond to the invitation. Let's bow our head. I want to pray with some people. Please, let's bow our head. If you can. If you are here tonight and you feel like you thought you did not deserve the invitation, you thought you are not good enough, you thought you are a sinner and your life cannot be, cannot be transformed, people have rejected you, I want you to know that tonight you can give your life to Jesus because you have a place at his table. You can be forgiven of your sins. If you are here, just raise your hand and I will pray for you. If you are here, raise your hand and I will pray with you. Thank you, sister. Thank you very much. Let's close our, our, our eyes. This is a personal moment where people are making their own decisions. 
if you are here, you know, you have been hearing this voice in your heart. God inviting you. God inviting you to him. He's inviting you. Open your heart for him. Raise your hands. I will pray with you tonight. Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, my brother. Thank you. Thank you there. I see another hand there. I see another one there. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my sister. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let me pray. Church, I will invite you to pray with me this prayer and in support of those who've just raised their hands so that they know they belong here. They belong to God's table. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love for me. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you for sending Jesus to give me a place at the table with you forever. Tonight I, I repent all my sins. Forgive me, oh Lord, all my sins. I invite you into my heart. Come and dwell into my heart. Holy Spirit, guide me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey again, thanks so much for joining us on this podcast. Whether you are new and exploring faith or a follower of Jesus, there is a next step for you. There is always room to grow, more to be done, destiny to be pursued, and people to be reached. So what's your next step? To find out, head over to northwestchurch.com.au. And thanks again for listening.